Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Hello, Wheatland Church. This is Cross Reference with your host, Dr. Daniel Spanger, talking with Pastor Luke LaDuc. And uh, Pastor LaDuc is now working us through Genesis uh, 1 and 2, and now we're in 3. And I made a comment to him during the last podcast that it's all been happy and fun. And now we're getting down to brass tacks here, Pastor Pastor LaDuc. Yeah. Dark underbelly, if you will. The story turns. Yeah, the story turns. Exactly. Which Good. I always I always say to students, you know, I say to my kids, when you watch a movie, you know, why is there always like happy, happy, joy, joy, and then something goes wrong, and then the plot really kicks in? Have you heard that model of storytelling before? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You might have. Right. It's called the Bible. Exactly. Um, it might be the architecture of every good story. So here we have, hmm. and you've brought us to this point where you've got everything happening wonderfully. Um, the, um, the the garden is just as we hoped. It's a it's a it's an idyllic little 1950s town. Norman Rockwell yeah. is there painting pictures of, exactly. of the storefronts and the little kids and everything's happy. Uh, and then there's this turn and the turn seems to happen by by, you know, maybe we look at the story the way it develops in, in Genesis three is does the story turn towards the darker side? The minute Jesus says, oh, God says, oh, by the way, there's this tree you're not supposed to touch. Hmm. Because it seems like while the story turns when Adam and Eve meet or the serpent first wiggles his way into the garden, walking or crawling or whatever he's doing, yeah. it almost seems like the problem comes before that. Like if God hadn't put that stupid tree in the garden, right? we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been in this problem. Yeah. But but it seemed you're, you seem to be saying that, that that may not be the case. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is not um, it's not a dark part of the early story or, um, you know, the one right. little ugly misfit in right. this whole beautiful creation story. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack yeah. that? Yeah, I think I can. And I think, um, uh, well, I don't know if I can unpack it fully to everyone's <laughs> satisfaction. And I think I should probably say here that um, some of this, some of the things that I know that we're looking at, um, some of this we have to, we, we can't just make bald statements about yeah. Some of it we have to read within the light of the entire story and the unfolding of the story of redemption. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a conversation I was having after church on Sunday with someone that brought up something that I'm committed to is that the story is set in place before any of this takes place, if that makes sense. So this idea from Revelation that Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so part of that, you know, colors 
and 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 uh, informs my reading of Genesis is that mm-hmm. Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Can I can I jump in on this one? Point? Yeah, because I, I've had yeah. some conversations too, and maybe what, and I think I mentioned this to you off offline is that I think for those of us who've been through seminary we kind of know that theology is always an approximate sort of language. We're mm. trying to mm-hmm. understand something that's way too big for us to understand. Yeah. So we use language and story and metaphor. Jesus use parable mm-hmm. um, to help us so that we're not, there's not a claim to accuracy. Like if you really understood Genesis one and two, this is the way you would exactly understand. Right. It. And it's not that it's not true. And I think what you've been saying is true. I think it's helpful, but it's also a very fuzzy picture of something that's far more complicated. So yeah, I, I do want to give yeah I do want to give people the, no, the idea that this is something we're not saying definitively this right is, this is a wrestling they, to find truth. I think I think one I heard this phrase a long time ago and I always come back to it and sometimes I lean on it too heavily and it annoys my friends but <laughs> I I will always say well I think this is not a final word but a helpful word yeah and yeah. Um, I think that's how we approach this but particularly when we come to this tree, mm-hmm. uh, I was saying to you, I think that the, the reason that I don't think it is this dark poisonous fruit from the beginning mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to put together from Genesis 1 and 2, and that is that the creation, my, my understanding of a theology of creation, and that is that at every point it was good, and then God pronounces it good. And then at the end, as it's all together, and he enters into his eternal rest, if you will, he pronounces it very good. Mm-hmm. And so somehow, in the middle of all of that stands the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the center of the garden. Mm-hmm. And somehow it is very good. And I think part of what we have to do is come back to this story and be really comfortable with what seems impossible or inscrutable, that sort of thing is that what we do know is that the world is very good and that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is included under that. Right. And, and I, what I, I think, and I, I said this to you in a different term, but it's the one I want to keep coming back to. If I had to define the way I've always understood the tree, at least for my Sunday school classes going back and I won't tell you church, what church I belong to. Right. Sure. It, was that this was, uh, this was God seeking to be arbitrary. Mm-hmm. God was hoping to put one foolish, ridiculous thing in there to truly see whether they were really going to obey him or not. Right. And he right. just, he's like, well, I'll, let's do a tree. Cause that's, that's yeah. the most random thing I can think of. Could have been a, I don't know what it could have been anything else. Yeah, um, sure. Could have been a rock. Don't cool. pick that up. It could have yeah. been, you know, yeah, but, he just exactly. tree. But, that, but I don't think, I, I think what you're saying is that the, the tree was good. The fact that it was there was good. Taking yes. it was bad, but the tree is actually good. Right. That, that is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not saying that I fully understand exactly right. how that is, but right. I'm, I think, I think it's clear enough from my understanding of a theology of creation that that's sort of my starting point. Mm-hmm. And then I have to sit with the story and not just Genesis one, two, and three, but the rest of the story of humanity and her relationship with God and Israel and her relationship with God and, 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 and on into the New Testament and Jesus and all of that in order to try to suss out how that part of that is because I am committed to the fact that what we have here Mm -hmm. is infallible 
right. and it's inerrant right. and it is a masterpiece. Like the okay. scriptures are a masterpiece and there's always more to it than we will ever right. be able to um, line out for ourselves or for others. And so that's, that's part of it, but that's it. Well, I want to go, let me, let me do two things. Sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but one, I think that's, that's really great. I hope, I hope everyone grabs hold of that metaphor. Cause I think when you think masterpiece, then you get a better picture of what we're doing here. This is not, this is not a logical text, mm-hmm. something so rich, deep and complicated that every layer you unpeel, there's more to learn. And one layer may look a little different than another layer, but God has given us a gift for us to unpack over time. So I like that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I want to just summarize, and I don't know if you want to move on. Um, what I think I understand you're saying about the tree, and I think this may not actually be from this sermon, but the previous one, mm-hmm. where you seem to be saying the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, was God presenting almost in form his, um, his right to determine a name. I think that's what he's saying. Like he names yeah. good and evil. Yes. And in a sense, the tree, if it's not there, right. it's there because God has named right. good and evil. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it's a personification or maybe, and it's maybe a real tree. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be that case, but it's there so that you knew this was God's area, God's arena, mm-hmm. God's doing mm-hmm. and not yours. And that by taking the tree, you are actually claiming that. Is that, is that a fair definition of what the tree is doing there to the best of our? Yeah, absolutely. So that um, that's the first step I think I was trying to take in opening up another way for us to read Genesis and understand the tree is to counter, first of all, the notion that this is simply a test. God created people and he loved them, but he had to get something in there that would really test and see if they would love him back. And um, again, we can talk about the reality of the real choice that Adam and Eve were given. That's all there. I, I believe that, you know, we could talk about that. But I want us not to see the tree as merely this capricious, arbitrary thing that God has plucked out of the, and really it's, if you think about it, it would almost be this very, if, if God is just using the tree as this test to see what lies within humanity, well, he created them, he knows that, but if he's just using it as an arbitrary test, how, um, do I want to say callous? I don't want to accuse God of anything, but if that's the direction we're going to go, that's a pretty sneaky thing to do to make this tree appear beautiful to look at. Like I mentioned from um, in the sermon Sunday, that the tree of knowing good and evil is beautiful to look at, which is how God describes all the other trees that he's given to them for food. Uh, The fruit was good to eat, which is how he describes all the other trees that he's given them for food. But it was also desired to make one wise, which, um, you know, you and I have spent lots of time thinking and talking about how wisdom, uh, the beginning of the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that sort of thing is, um, and ironically, um, Eve doesn't fear or reverence or Adam doesn't fear or reverence. And so they take this. So yeah, what I'm trying to say is that the tree is a physical reminder in the middle of a garden where they're given free space to exercise their authority. It is this gift and gracious reminder that there is one under whom they are still bound, uh, under whose authority they are still bound and whose word they are still meant to always obey at every point of their own authority and and engagement. 
Yeah. And I, and I appreciate, and I think, I think one of the things I really, um, I really like is I'm wrestling through that. And I know we've, I've done that in other contexts is this idea that, and I think you got at this when it looks like Eve's temptation is that the fruit of good and evil is taken on the value or the, or the characteristics that are good for me in the moment. It's taste is mm. good. It looks good. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and you, you've made this connection to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, which I think is, I appreciate as, as a counter space where the true Adam and the true, even one sense yeah. they, you know, he looks and says the world could give me right now, better peace, mm -hmm. happiness, and, and physical safety. Mm -hmm. Obeying God is going to give me the opposite, but what makes this mm -hmm. good is not that it tastes good or it looks good, but that God said it's evil. And yeah. in, in that case, and I, and I, I think this is helpful to go back. As you said, let's use that to help understand the tree. Does looking at Christ at that moment of the garden Gethsemane really teach us more about this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. The, and the I, cup, the the, the, yeah. the the fruit of the the wine of the fruit. So I think you can mm -hmm. see sort of a connection there. Right. We, does that help us get a picture of what the tree is? Yeah. I like to think it does, <laughs> but but I and Again, here's not helpful, not final. Yeah, this is a helpful. It's, this is what I want to do is open up new vistas for us that are faithful to the scriptures but that actually may push against a more simplified and cut and dry that, and, and there's nothing wrong. Like, so part of our growing in faith is um, we're learning and you can't learn all the nuance of the story at one time. You have to start with building blocks, but right. is it time to add another course on top of the course of bricks that right. we already have about what we know of the garden? And that's what I'm inviting us to do is to think there might be some nuance and there might be some richness that we haven't, um, haven't had access to mm -hmm. because we had to get some things down first and now we can build on top of that. But I, yeah, the whole garden of Gethsemane thing is really rich for me because I'm, I'm thinking first of all, so one of the things that I said that I've already gotten feedback from people who are like, Hey, I really enjoyed what you did, but I'm having a hard time with this tree business of the knowledge of knowing good and evil, because uh, that's not how I've ever heard that. And and mm -hmm. Jesus says, or God says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I didn't get into the Hebrew there, but as I'm reading um, some grammarians on that and, and talking about the prohibition that God gives, I think sometimes we have a, a simplistic version of what that means. And we say, God says, if you eat that, I'll kill you. That's a different thing than what actually the Hebrew grammar says. Uh, um, to the best of my understanding, and we maybe we need a Hebrew grammarian to come on this podcast yeah, yeah. and set me straight. But but what I'm reading, um, these guys, the Hebrew grammarians. I don't even know if anybody calls themselves a Hebrew grammarian. <laughs> That's what I call them. Hebraist scholars. A, a Hebraist. Hebraist, like pianist. Yes, exactly. A, a Hebraist would say what that literally means there in Genesis two is you will be doomed to die. So in other words, by you eating this fruit, you are dooming yourself to die hmm. anyway. So, th so there's discussions there that that's probably one of those places that we need to rethink what we've always thought about um, what God is doing with this tree. If, if it's Adam and Eve who doom themselves to death by doing this, not God killing them because they disobeyed. That's a different, I, I mean, there are, 
there are points of convergence on that idea right. that God will judge you. Yeah, there's there's points of, but it's not as simple as eat this fruit, I will kill you. Right. There, there's other things going on that help fill out the story. And, and the I, I think what, if I were to go back to the way we've always heard this, and I, I say always heard it, like the church has never gotten it right, but the way I right. tended to hear it in my Sunday yeah, school classes sure. was that if the tree is arbitrary, then the real problem we have in life is, is the temptation of temptation itself. Like, mm. like anywhere there exists temptation, that's the problem. So here's, it doesn't matter right. what the tree is and the fig, it doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that you're tempted is the problem. And, and I think what, what, what always struck me about that, or at least what strike me about thinking this way, is that when we see the tree differently, we realize that fruit is still tempting. Temptation is not the problem. It's what the temptation is pointing to. Mm. And in this mm -hmm. garden story, it seems like the tree is pointing. I think you use the word autonomy. But it certainly is pointing, it seems to be pointing to the idea that either you accept his kingship with whatever it brings, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, or you submit God's kingship to what you think is right. Right. And if that's the case, if that's what the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, tree of the knowledge of good and evil means, I have to say, I, I, I eat that fruit every day. Mm -hmm. And not just because mm -hmm. I am tempted by mm -hmm. nameless temptations. Temptation is mm -hmm. not the problem. It's what those point to, which is what you're saying yes. is autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I want to rush ahead up. Okay, so we know that Jesus is the second Adam, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he's actually the archetypal Adam. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? That explain that, explain that. So we got a good handle. So yeah, so the first Adam is not the um pinnacle, the archetype, the the ultimate pattern. Jesus is <laughs> the last Adam. He is the one to whom which every other human was pointing. Right. So Adam himself is only a shadow and, mm -hmm. and a mere pointer to the true Adam who was mm -hmm. coming in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's the other conviction that I read this story with, the, that Genesis with, is mm -hmm. that Jesus was always coming to his people. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a an upcoming book that you all will want. Dan has an upcoming book coming right. uh, released here soon that you all will want to buy called Advent is the story. Just talking about how the coming of Jesus is at the heartbeat from all of this from first to last. Right. So let's rush ahead to Jesus temptation in the wilderness. Okay. You have the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. And then you have the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Hmm. When does this temptation happen? It, you tell me, right? Yeah, right. So, okay. Yeah. There has been what we know of there. Jesus has lived 30 years right. and then he enters this. He is baptized. He's commissioned by God for the work that he came to do. And I mentioned in the sermon, again, I didn't go into all of this in the sermon, but those 30 years Jesus spends as growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Hmm. And then at his baptism, when the spirit is poured out on him in this visible way, and there's this, um, everything that happens at the baptism, he, he is whisked immediately by the spirit into temptation. Hmm. And I, and I want to note the contours of that temptation. Um, what has he promised? He, he, he's hungry. He's been fasting for 30 days or for 40 days. And the, let's say the serpent comes to him and Office. yes, comes to him and offers him, Hey, turn these stones into bread. There's absolutely nothing wrong with bread. 
bread, it will, it will become the thing that Jesus not only eats, but gives to the world for their life in his own broken body. Okay. He is offered, um, he's taken up to the high point of the temple. Uh, He's shown the nations of the world. And he is told, if you bow down and worship me, if you avoid the cross that's coming and just simply bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Yeah. Um, Cast yourself off of this and I, you know, angels will come and bury all this. So if I just back out and I look at the temptation of Adam and Eve and the temptation of Jesus, I see that what Jesus is offered, what Adam and Eve, what Jesus is offered were not bad things. Mm-hmm. He is not tempted with, um, hey, go uh, murder somebody. Yeah, go murder. <laughs> if you do something bad, then you will get something good. No, he is offered. In fact, he's offered the very things that are coming to him and that he will become. Right, right. He will become the bread of life for the world. Mm-hmm. He will be given all the nations and all the kingdoms of the world as his but not before he and is he'll obedient. be raised up he'll and he will be raised up, up yeah, that's right. from that's death, right. yeah. but not before he is obedient and mm. trusts in God's goodness, mm. Adam and Eve. And so what I'm saying with the tree is yeah. Yeah. that it is not this evil thing. It is something that they are, that was coming to them, knowing good and evil, but it was not meant for them at that moment. It was something that was good. And again, some of this is inscrutable. I don't think I can explain it all perfectly, but there's enough analogy there. If Je- I didn't make up the fact that Jesus is called the last Adam. I mean, that's something that Paul does. Paul did that. You yeah, have to take ownership of that. Precedence for that. So, okay, I just, now I have license to go back and read the story that right, way. Right. And I get to read the temptations that way as well. So to me, that's what also gives me, even if I can't figure it all out quite right, I feel like, okay, here's what Jesus was tempted with. And now Adam and Eve were tempted with something. Okay, now what what was going on there? What was the nature of what Jesus was tempted with? Everything becomes clear in Jesus. And so now that helps us go back and read. So, yeah, that's part of what I'm trying to say with this tree of knowing good and evil. And I think I can go one step further and say, when Jesus gets to the garden of Gethsemane, it's almost as if he does become the Adam who knows good and evil. He takes in his cross, all of the sins of the world, all of the evil of the world is put upon him and he becomes sin for us who knew no sin and yet he, through all of that, he's perfectly obedient to the goodness of his father in and through all of that. And as I said at the end of the sermon, he's raised from, the, from death after that. So, that, so that, and I think where, where we can struggle a bit is in our own roots is we're looking for some sort of particular accuracy. Here's exactly what happened. Here's yeah. exactly what, and, and and that's not really the point of debate. It may it may all right. be, and that's fine. But the right. I want to go something you said when you first started this series was this is primarily a text about theology, primarily a text about who God is, and then 
And I think there's this other reality, which you're drawing out is once we understand who God is, we understand who we are. Right. And I, and I think, I think to see it that way is to say what, what God, what Adam and Eve doing the way the text is laid out, mm -hmm. gives us a very clear window of our own hearts. It teaches us a great deal about yes. who we are as people and what we desire yeah. and why, when we sin against God, it's not just some arbitrary decision. Well, don't do this and don't do that. Right. It's something, and, and he's the author of all good, yeah. and, and the opposite is the author of all evil, and when we take ownership from the right to, to, to rule, mm -hmm. we actually strip away God's right, and then, and then I think it's Christ, right, relives us and says, actually, I'm willing to hand over good and evil to the Father, even if it means evil is going to happen to me, Right. whereas where if, in Adam and Eve story, is actually the inverse, all they mm -hmm. had to do was not do it, and they had all good, mm -hmm. now Jesus has to take and actually accept that God is good, even when he gets all evil, mm. and still did it where Adam and Eve couldn't do it living in paradise. Yeah. And neither can we, quite frankly. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what else this, what else this view of, of whether or not you agree with me on every particular, what we see is, what we know clearly is that almost all sin is a misuse of God's gifts. Do mm. you see it is a taking something that has a proper order and function, but using it in a way that it was never meant to be used. Um, let's take human sexuality. You know, this is an easy one. Um, so it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It is, it is this beautiful gift. It is a wonderful gift. It is part of what we were designed for and intimacy and sexuality. But when it gets misused and, and taken out of the context in which it leads to flourishing and, and human connection and trust and dependence and vulnerability, when it gets taken out of those contexts of marriage and gets used in another context, it becomes uh, a transgression. Um, food, alcohol, whatever. I mean, you could do this with every single gift of God that there is a misuse of it. And I think that's, and, and primarily the misuse are always have at some root, uh, some sort of selfishness, some sort of self-gratification, self-justification, um, as you and I've talked about. Um, some, some, I get to decide what to do with this gift, not I get to receive it with gratitude in the way that it was intended in the terms I, of the giver yeah in it, right. yeah, yeah in the terms of the giver yeah because i think that and this is where we can trip up on this a little bit and i'm not calling that to task but i think the individual misreading of this is it's it's um you know when it's selfish it's bad it's also any other king to which these gifts mm. are put yeah and then, then it's idolatry yeah. and i think there's a lot of corporate sure there's a lot of corporate evil. They say, well, I'm just doing this and I'm doing it selfless. And a lot of people do things selflessly, but they're mm -hmm. still doing in service to a king other than Christ yeah, or Yahweh, so. in which case it becomes mm -hmm. again. Right. And, and to your point and connecting it back to your story about or your understanding of the serpent, I think what Paul's very clear about, too, is when you take God's goods, gifts and you put them to any use of your own. So rather than accepting God who names good and evil, you decide to name good and evil it's not only a transgression, it's the backworking of death in your life. It always, mm. it always unwinds order. It yeah. always stirs chaos into the good creation. Right. 
Yeah, and that's what that's sort of what the, the theme that I was trying to make clear is that when Eve reaches out and takes this fruit, this is not just garden variety disobedience. Right. It is re it is inverting the entire created order where humans are live life dependent, utterly open and dependent upon the gifts of their creator. Right. And that distinction is always maintained and everything we have is ours because it's been given to us from a, a gracious and, and right. good father, even if it comes with a difficulty. And that's the other thing about this temptation that I think is interesting. Part of the other thing that we know from Jesus' life is not only did he increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, so there was this maturing process, but later on that maturing process is described as suffering. That uh, the, the scriptures say that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Mm. And so what if what Adam and Eve were meant to do with this tree, at some point they were to experience some sort of real suffering. And through that suffering, they would learn obedience. And then in learning that obedience, they would have matured and grown into the human race, the humanity, the people of God that he had always meant them to be. So yeah. again, these are just touch points. They're and just that's a what if echoes. Yeah. That's a what if um, right. I know Thank I can you. hear, <laughs> don't turn off the podcast just yet. I can hear yeah. people going, why are suffering in the world? Yeah. And there's perfect right. and and I want to go. Why back is there something. a snake in the world? Who is? Well, uh, yeah, where right. does he come from? Hard hat get into the garden. Yeah. And I and I think the idea, and I I, I want to clarify this, Luke, and I don't know if yeah. I'm capturing you right here. I think it's to say suffering. There's a suffering that comes because of evil. There's probably, I think, we're guessing at this also suffering that comes from just being a creature mm. and having this this tension is that we have the divine capacities to think and love and know and do, but that we're not given the right to control. And I, and I think even when mm -hmm. I, I've talked about this in the garden, that God said, you know, here, here I've given you something that's totally and absolutely good. You have to work to make it. And, and that yeah. doesn't sin maybe in the heart of Adam and Eve to say, I don't want to get up tomorrow and work in the garden. That sounds like post-fall kind of talk. Right. But there must have been some tension between, because and I think this is what captures Eve, that what Satan in, in some way may have done was preempted or tried to do an end run around this long claim of Adam that God's that you have to build and grow and keep and this mm -hmm. and this and then yeah. when do we finally get done with this thing At, yeah. he, satan's saying you can have right. it now I, you take this and it's done god knows that when you right. get this you'll be as good as that's that's yeah. in one sense truncating this long process god had built in and whether yeah. or not we use the word suffering and i'm okay to use that but yeah the distance between what where god made them and where he's calling them to be mm -hmm. is still time and labor yeah. And there's something in there that Eve thought, you know what, if I could, if I could jump yeah. around that. Yeah. If, over if that, I, I don't if, need maturation. I'd like to have it now. Right. That's that interesting. The, yeah. I yeah. think, I mean, you know, you can have a microwave in your kitchen, but <laughs> it's just not going to taste the same as if you cook. Okay. That's a, cook it that's over a, a fire. Right. David, but, what's your, what's your, let's go back to the, for the Peter story, the, the the smoke of the of oh the yeah the, the, <laughs> that's right the campfire see what god is doing in history it's campfires <laughs> he's teaching I'm, us to grill that's what this is all about my theology Avoid the microwave fire roasting um anyway but no i do think that's i i do think that is part of of what is happening here is that there's must be something in which that um maturation process it is so painful i mean there is no, there is no question that 
this is what we're doing with our kids. We're, we want, we want the best for them, but we know that, um, in many ways, um, you can't rush that maturation process as much as you'd like to (laughs) at at various points as a parent. Um, You can't make your one-year-old, you can't have logical conversations with your one-year-old about their behavior. That has to come later, you know, all that sort of things. But I do think what, what the other thing that I think is interesting is um, when Adam and Eve insist on their, um, autonomy, um, or their, this, this, um, way to live in the world where they get to make these decisions that feel the wisest to them and feel the best to them. There's a sense in which they're the ones who turn the world into the dangerous place that it is. Right. Right. Because they've, as I've said, they've subverted the order. I I was thinking about this a little later on and I was thinking about, um, because I was talking about how, you know, this, the sin that Eve commits, let's say in that moment, at one level, it's not this outrageous action. Mm. It, it, okay. It's, we've been given trees. We, we we're, we're meant to eat fruit from trees and yeah, maybe, you know, and there's the whole doubt and God's good. Um, you know, I live in the city and Basil and I love to go for a walk in the city and he would, if he approaches that walk as the one who gets to make all of the decisions about mm-hmm. where we stop, where we go, where, um, you know, where we can run and where we have to be cautious, that sort of thing. The city is a very dangerous place to go on a walk with a kid. Mm-hmm. But if he is willing to live within the boundaries of what it means for uh, a to be walking with his father who has the clear boundaries in line. Okay. When you get to this curb, you have to stop, you know, that sort of thing. All of the sudden um, it's not that the city is out to get him, that the city itself is evil. It's that that the city functions in a certain way by laws and, and, and traffic flow. And as long as you live within the grain of that, you're going to be fine you step outside of the grain of that and that, be it becomes, yeah, it becomes a very dangerous and yeah. in hostile, unhospitable place. So, so let me ask, cause I think again, with this way, way we're talking through this, I think is helping. It helps me anyway, to see that the, the, the fruit fig, whatever, we know it's mm-hmm. not an apple, right. whatever that is, 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 is still an ongoing temptation for us. It's, yeah. it's the archetypal mm-hmm. temptation as well as Christ, the archetypal Adam. And I, Someone came up after church and said that he sees it on display. You're fighting back against that temptation. It's something as simple as during your sermon, when you're done with a page, you pick up your Bible and you slide it (laughs) under the scriptures. And I know what you're doing, Luke, is you're trying to communicate to the whole congregation in this very artful move. Mm, that Your mm. ideas are not above, but finally under the authority of God. And so I thought that was interesting. And I I know well-intentioned. I know that's why you're doing it. Yeah, I from from the beginning, I have always <laughs> used that as sort of like a prophetic dramatization, <laughs> speech act sort of stuff. Finally, the church is called. Wow, out. I'm so glad somebody finally has recognized my brilliance. This is the first my, time. This is the only second time Luke's ever heard this. Once was before I started the recording. Just exactly. So you know. but, I um, I love that. That is yeah. a beautiful metaphor. I want to yeah. live into that, but I did not have that in my head. <laughs> but. 
now that it's out there, that's exactly what I meant to do. There'll be a little more drama in it this yes, Sunday. I think there will if you be watch, the, we'll uh, put them under some, some flourish. flourish. Yes. <laughs> but I think what, what I liked about that comment was to me, it captured so much of where this is going is to yeah. recognize that it's not arbitrary. That, that reality is what faces every creature. And every yeah. day we are called in one sense yeah. to either submit. And I, I said this in the wilderness, which I just, it helps me capture this. Either I explain the will, explain God by the wilderness I'm in, or I explain the wilderness by the God that I know. Mm-hmm. And in this case, mm-hmm. we're being called to take the world, whatever we understand, yeah. and submit it under His yeah. His naming of good and evil, and not yeah. submit God to our naming of good and evil. And I think that that captures, as an intellectual story, and I don't want to go down this road, but that captures the human temptation for about as long as I've studied human history. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, yeah. down to the molecular. How do I get up in the morning and treat my children? Yeah. How do I vote in the voting booth? How do I fight a war? Mm. I, I can't see any of these not having to face that same fruit. Mm. And in most cases, we choose to eat it rather than submit our lives mm. to God's naming of good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to change. I, I, I was just going to say, following up on that, it seems to me that if we we're going to think contextually about who this story is meant for originally and when it comes, it comes to Israel as she is being delivered from Egypt and going into what you said, a wilderness where she will face this unique temptation to doubt God's goodness at every turn. She will face hardships. There were there, the wilderness. Yes. God was providing for Israel in the wilderness, but it's, it, it was not, um, it was the wilderness in which he was providing for them. Right, <laughs> there, there's right. a wilderness aspect, the disorder, the chaos. We don't know this place. We don't know how this place works. We don't know these creatures. Um, and so this will be a theme that will play out in the life of Israel from this very moment over and over and over in her history. And as you've said, in, in, in the whole course of human history. Yeah, there's more continuity to me. I, I've always been told that I'm a covenantal person. I get mm-hmm. there's continuity between Israel and the church, but I, there's continuity between Israel and humanity in ways that mm-hmm. I don't think I've always appreciated. I think writer of Hebrews, even Paul's very clear about this was done so that you might know. Yeah. But I think thinking this way, there's, there's patterns paradigms that are built into the human heart that this story just puts on the pl- on display so clearly that i see myself in eve in ways i've never seen myself in eve before yeah and adam um yeah. i find that helpful let me i just want to tie into uh, two two other things well, at least one you've used to describe this i think the term that you landed on is this term autonomy hmm. that that's the indication maybe that is that the way to sum up what the temptation of the tree is and you unpack what you mean by autonomy yeah, I, you know, that is a, that is a good, uh, some, this reminds me that I had, um, I had used a term in a, in a previous sermon here out of Genesis of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this, this term autonomy is the uh, exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. But now it's clear that both of those need to probably be unpacked a little <laughs> bit and, and so that they make a little more sense. But Yeah, so the sovereignty is the aspect of that God, uh, as he disposes uh, all of his, as he he creates and and as he um, builds the world and and created a world of, of order, he is the one according to whose logic the world works. It is, it is the logic, whether we understand that logic or not, it be uh, God is sovereign in that it is according to his logic 
that the world is framed and operates and, and continues. And, and his sovereignty is his absolute knowing of, of all of that and his control of it, and that he is the king over his creation. And it's not, um, and, and I think maybe the logic, by using that idea of logic, what we're saying is that it is, it is not something that is done out of this desire to control or to be, so, sometimes people hear the word sovereignty and they think of a manipulator tyrant. or a tyrant. Thank you. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the word I'm looking for, a tyrant. This has yeah. nothing to do with, with tyrant. Sovereign does not equal tyrant. Sovereign equals the way in which something was ordained and created and functioned and the logic that's behind all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when you move to autonomy, mm. I think you might be able to say um, it's not just simply I demand my own way, but I have to use my own logic in these situations. Mm. And I am not willing to concede that there may be something else, somebody else's understanding and who is higher than mine. And so that um, autonomy would be this unwillingness to grant that God is the one who has established his world and orders his world, even when it seems like right. it is at cross purposes right. with our own ability to right. understand and make sense of it. Doesn't that, doesn't that just make so much sense of Job to me? I mean, it makes so much mm -hmm. sense of Job that God in this test or whatever word we want to use puts Job, allows Satan to put Job in the very condition where he has every reason to believe mm -hmm. that his goals, ambitions, logic, sense of the world is superior to God's. Yeah. And Job doesn't break. Now, the one interesting thing I find about Job is Job doesn't break. And I think there we get behind Job and we try to live into him. Yeah. But Job, I think, and, and my brother used to say this, Job missed the fact that he couldn't, he couldn't see God was good in it. Mm. he saw god was powerful he said god mm -hmm. can do whatever he wants and he never let go of that his right. logic is superior that's absolutely mm -hmm. right but he couldn't come around and say that's good mm. and i think that's where he gets chastised by god at the end says who are you yeah don't you know who who i am and, and not not that it's inscrutable but it's so much bigger and deeper and longer than you can ever mm. imagine yeah why have you lost faith and hope in me mm. um which i think is the struggle of israel it's the struggle of adam it's the struggle of it's it a struggle of jesus yeah. but he, he he passed yeah the test yeah 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 that's I, lo I love the way you describe that I, I think i think seeing sovereignty as god's good created reason and mind and heart in it that to disagree with it yeah. is to assume someone else's and yeah. then live into that order which of course and you you made this point about about satan which i think by connecting to apophis gives me a little more texture here mm. that the serpent is the very one that lives for the disorder of what is good mm. yeah and so whatever his words are how subtle the temptation there's one goal in this, which would be obvious to the hearers. Uh-oh. So they wouldn't have to say, oh, is disorder what he's sowing? They'd say, oh, we know he's sowing disorder. Now, how right. is he sowing it? Oh, right. he's sowing it by saying, doubt God. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's reintroducing darkness and disorder. Yeah. Bohu bohu, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking of um, going back to that idea of sovereignty and autonomy. And um, Kurt Thompson, I, I was... I. I he's written this book called the soul of shame and he spends a lot of time in um, this Genesis three narrative sort of talk. He's, he's a neuroscientist, a Christian neuroscientist, really good stuff. Um, again, some of it, 
it's just rich food for thought, but I think he, he does some really excellent stuff. But um, I had this quotation by him on the inside cover. It said, in order us, when we talk about doubting God's goodness, uh, he says, in order for us to doubt anything, at the moment we do, we simultaneously put our trust in something else. We are invariably made for faith to operate out of a need to trust something we cannot control. And I think that's, <laughs> that's what makes autonomy, um, as I've described it, such a siren song for us, because we have been created, the world has been created in such a way by our sovereign God, that we have to operate, we have to trust something we cannot control. Mm. And that is a hard thing to do for people who have been granted a measure of freedom and a measure of authority, but not full control. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, where we get our most panicked is when we find ourselves, um, when we really face for the first time in a, or in a new and profound way that we really do not have control over yeah. what's in I'd front I'd like to of quote us. another deep thinker in American mm. history, poet Bob Dylan. Oh, say, yeah. You're going to serve somebody. Yeah. Song. You're going to say maybe the devil. Yeah. Or maybe the Lord. Yeah. You're going to serve somebody. And, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe not with um, some yeah. neuroscientific terminology in there. But right. Dylan this is probably spot on, right? This is a shout out to your brother, Timmy. It is. It is. I'm hoping he's um, listening and he'll. Yeah, I'm sure he, he taught is. me something. Yeah. Yeah. I learned. Tim, uh, Dan, let me, let me tell the audience. Okay. This, Dan. Uh, Dan's brother, Tim. And most and people don't I, know this. Yeah, they, 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 you don't know this. Here is this. We're far afield now, friends. Um, Dan's younger brother, Tim and I, were uh, lived next door to each other in college uh, for a couple of years. Like and that we rich, that rich theological institution, <laughs> institution <called> Pensacola. <laughs> Pensacola Christian College, where we were sitting around having discussions like this every night. Uh, not quite. Very rich. Um, but I, I will say that. Uh, Tim was the first Calvinist I'd ever met. And, and I was friends with Terry Lynn. We weren't quite dating at the time, but we were, we were friends. And she was saying, you're always hanging out with Tim. What, what, what's I said, oh yeah, he is hilarious. I love Tim. He's great. But he's got these weird beliefs. And because I had never anyway, so long story. And then short, you and he and Jill and then, Hartland and you and, yeah. and uh, Terry Lynn would hang oh, out. Oh yeah. Yep. So, but anyway, I learned to love uh, Bob Dylan. Mm. in tim spanger's leaking and moldy z24 cavalier that smelled like yeah. a mold spore because it had a leak from the sunroof he had that's, he had stacks of tapes on, on bob dylan my goodness gracious yeah so, anyway that's that's we're really far afield yeah now. boy i don't know how to get back to genesis 3 yeah, after this um, i don't know well i i yeah and this is so again i think that i we wanted to, i want to ask about the sermon i think your your discussion of autonomy is really helpful especially when you connect it back to the ideas of sovereignty i mm. i may go back and re-listen to that myself because i think it it well it, it redefines some of those terms in really helpful ways. and i think it makes perfect sense of philippians 2 yeah who being in the form of god this is the story of jesus the song the hymn to jesus did not think equality with god was something to be grasped but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. It's just, it's mind blowing. 
It is yeah. that. And, I, and in the story, and I think that's mm. what you've been doing is, is our tendency to lift these things out and, and sort of try to analyze the gem on its own rather than putting it back in this massive yeah. mosaic where it just yeah. gets brighter and more brilliant. Yeah. And right. even, even this discussion of who, of who Adam and Eve were and what they struggled, Christ doesn't change to me who he is, but he just gets deeper, richer, more profound, mm. harder to understand in some mm. ways, yeah. um, more brilliant. Which I think, and I always, I always say this, and we've done this in Sunday schools, that if you know, if you meet Jesus just by opening Matthew, you're, you're sort of depleted yourself. I think God wants us to meet Jesus in Genesis 1. Mm. And then, then when we meet him, we're actually shocked, astounded, unnerved, shaken mm. Mm. in ways that we're probably supposed to be when we finally yeah. see who he is and yeah. what this has all been about. That's but I think funny. that comes out of this, the way you're talking about the story really, I think really helps set that up. Yeah, so we come to see Jesus differently, which is the whole point of this, right? Getting to know Adam and Eve is great. I love that. Yes, right. People to know. <laughs> right, right, right. But I really yeah. want to get to know Jesus. That's that's what I'm. Yeah. that's who I'm trying to get to know here. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Luke. Um, yeah, as, thank you. And good. Um, what's uh, we're, we're moving on through into yeah. the, into the curse so, and the blessing. Yeah. What, so what are you um, setting us up for Keith is dealing with the curse this week. So we're right. going to do um, eight or three eight through uh, 24. So three, uh, verse eight through the end of chapter three and um, some wonderful stuff in there. And uh, I'm sure it'll, it'll be rich. And uh, maybe, maybe all three of us can talk through the story oh, next good. week. Um, yeah, maybe he, that's a good he way preached it. it. And so then we can, I could, he can be in the hot seat for a while. And they can, <laughs> we'll finally both, get a break we'll, here. We'll both gang up on him and okay. uh, see how he does. <laughs> he's man enough. What he's going to do is just start oh, yeah. running and then we'll never exactly. catch him. And we'll that's catch the end of it. Yeah. Yep. 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 No yeah. All right, well, look forward to next Tuesday. And thank you. Luke. All right, my friend. Thank you, Dan. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org. 